HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 from Burtis Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, we're having some uh, technical issues. We actually didn't know if we were going to have the show today because... It's all falling uh, apart. I'm not going to say who it was, Dave, but somebody spilled like an entire like coffee plus Coke plus slushy freezy into the mixing board. I so wish, we're having God. some mixing board issues. Oh, what a waste. That sounds delicious. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, in fact, like we in the studio here can't hear Dave in the booth, so it's just, like a weird... I feel we like we don't we're... even need our headphones. Yeah, I hear nothing. Why aren't you wearing it's headphones? It's okay. I think, Dave, are we okay? Yeah, keep going. All right, so we're okay. So you can hear us, but we can't hear you. That's fine. Um, happy Halloween, everybody. There we we go. have, uh, as usual, Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How are you doing, Nastasia? Good. Yeah? Good? Anything interesting happened over the past week? No. What a freaking liar! You're the worst liar in the world! What interesting happened to you last week? Oh, I did. <laughs> What a moron! She's like starting a new business and like like leading right into it. I opened a restaurant with Mark and Mark Ladner. And you came to friends and family. Yeah. Oh. And your son broke the elevator. Listen, 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 people. <laughs> like this is this is what it's like dealing with Nastasia. So like anytime you hear her say nothing happened, nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, friends and family on that new restaurant I'm opening. What? Yeah. Same yeah, yeah. So how's it? Other than the fact that Booker came and broke the elevator. You know what it was? A copper wire had. So and that's not Booker. That's your. That's your. Pulled, uh, it busted the one twenty whatever. Yeah, but that's not Booker's fault. That's the incompetent weasel you hired to come fix the elevator. Yes. Right. I mean, yes. it's like. Here, I, first of all, first of all, we have. Uh, I want him to be able to chime in. So we have uh, Paul. Paul Adams, friend of the show. How you doing? I'm good. Although apparently I am not Nastasia's friend nor family. <laughs> oh wow. Paul, wow. you can come whenever you want. Wow. So uh, Paul. Uh, formerly known as Pote, 
that was how I used to know him via email, P-O-T-E. What did that stand for, Paul? Uh, Pote is a domain name that I bought back when you could buy a four-letter domain name, and after I bought it, I made it stand for Paul's online text editor before Google Docs existed. I wrote my own online text editor in 1999, and I'm here on the show to promote my... Online text editor? Online text editor. Yes. Hey, Paul, can you go to that other works. microphone? Uh, I don't see another one. The one, like, there. way across the way? Oh. Sorry, we're just having some... We're having a day today. Yeah. Okay. It's like, you know, the gremlins have invaded. So I don't know if you could hear over the crackling... Uh, oh, my microphone's moving as Paul's passing by. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you could hear over Happy the... Happy Halloween! Yeah, the crackling, but we have some serious... Gremlins in the uh, in the board today. Uh, okay, so we have Pote, Do you the hear me? Paul's online text editor, which he started in 1999. Better, yeah. And uh, how should we put this? Failed to monetize. Let's just put it that way. Failed to monetize. Okay, where are we? It's a free online text editor. Much l- well, so I've used been using <laughs> it to harvest the email addresses of African medical students who are the primary users. Is that wait, is this real? It's real. Yes. It's Wait. hugely popular in at least one East African medical school. Which, can you call it by name or that, would that be, like, where? Like, what? I haven't looked at the site since probably 2010, so I don't remember the name. But how many users school. do you have? Mm, in the three digits, I would say. So, like, there's a, a medical school in East Africa that's like, I don't know what this pod is, but that's what we use, because I ain't giving my stuff to big Google. That's what's happening? Exactly. Hey, is your stuff available in China? Are you an alternative to Google Docs in China? Yes. Ooh, hey, people. If we have any... Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, if we have anyone that wants a, an online, shareable, free text editor document source and you're in China and can't access Google Docs and don't have access to a VPN, I'm sure they have their own solution now, some sort of something. But uh, you're welcome to use Paul's... Uh, what is it? Paul, what, Paul's Paul? online text editor, which I believe is no longer currently functional. If you're in China, please hold while I, I did you try to get around on. to. I just tried a lot did on. did you just leave an entire medical school high and dry? How many people have died as a result of you not keeping <laughs> your online text editor current, Paul? I don't know. You know I think what? you can't sign up as a new user. Uh, if you're an existing medical student, you're fine. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so of course, uh, if you're in medical school. Now, and you were in there in 2010, which is the last time you looked at it, you are an extremely poor medical student, and probably, Paul, you don't want to count them as your users. Well, now you're a doctor. Oh, so <laughs> <Hopefully>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Paul, for those of you that don't know, uh, is uh, what's your title over there? Senior editor? My editor? title is Senior Research Editor. Senior at Research Editor. At Cook's Illustrated. Slash America's Test Kitchen. And his, uh, his outfit, which Nastasia will uh, Instagram out maybe later, is uh, America's Test Kitten. And he's got cat ears on, which is, I like it. The unusual man dressed as cat uh, situation. Paul, a longtime love affair with uh, cats. Yes. I bought these cat, ear, cat ears Halloween. Probably 15 years ago. And Is it just every year? Every year I come up with a new way to get my money's worth. Yeah. For $4 <laughs> cat ears. For me, it's uh, luchador masks. I love luchador masks on the Halloween. And my favorite, favorite, favorite luchador look is luchador in uh, suit and tie. Like, a, mm. like luchador mask, suit and tie, I think is just like the look. In fact, I'm considering just having that be my look in general. 
I mean, like, no one wants yes. to no one wants to look at my face. So you put a mask on, a suit and tie, all of a sudden. Because I think maybe luchador without the suit and tie, I mean, people don't want to hang around someone with a cape all the time. Or they definitely don't want to hang around me with my shirt off. Definitely not if I'm all greased up like a luchador. This is a horrible, in, in like, in those little spando shorty things. But luchador mask, so you get rid of the face, that's plus one. And then suit and tie, right? Yeah. Brilliant. Good news, right? I just gotta, I gotta go find a resource for some of those super wide 70s ties. I have one, at least one. You, you have borrow. that place in the East Village. Oh, I, yeah, I'm not gonna blow up my spot where, yeah. like, the, like, every once in a while, someone exactly my size goes to die and gives all their clothes to this place. And I snap them up, and you know, right now is the sweet spot for people from the '70s dying. You know, people who had these suits in the '70s are starting to kick off. You know what I mean? Like people who are in their, you know, '40s, like people who are my age in the '70s are like dropping. You know what I mean? And like leaving their suits to this, this uh, you to know. their kids, and their kids are like, their kids are like, I don't want dads, I don't want this. You know what I mean? And they give it to this uh, thrift store. You know, uh, my so you saw the picture I had up ago. My my stepfather's father, who died fairly recently, was a butcher. I have all those sweet yeah. knives. I have his scale. I just hung his lamp, which no one else wanted in in my place. This giant, awesome '70s lamp. Nice. I wish I had a high enough ceiling because originally where it was, it was in a high space, and it was a, a hanging crazy crystal lamp over a table lamp, and it looked like. You know, it looked like something out of the Death Star, like Obi-Wan might be going around, like, disabling the tractor beam on it. It was sweet, but I just don't have the space for it. Wow. It's in your New York home? Or no, no, it's, no, no. Mm-hmm. Come on. My, my New York home, like, like, it, like, if you hung it in my New York place, it would be hitting the floor. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? We, we don't have high ceilings up here in New York. Anyway, call in your questions, your Halloween or un- otherwise related questions, too. 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Maybe hey, got one. Got one? All right. Call her. You're on the air. Oh, hi, Nastasia. Hi, Dave. Uh, David, sorry about the tech issues. Um, glad to report. I'm, I'm calling from Europe again and uh, calling by Google, which is free. I don't know if maybe that's... Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> sorry? Yeah, good. What do, you got? what do you got for us? Yeah, so um, I'm part of a rugby club, a student rugby club in the Netherlands, and um, we have, like, Tuesday boat nights. It's actually based on a, a houseboat, believe it or not. Anyway, we, we cook for the, the whole club, and typically we'll try and cook for like 50, 60 people and aim at a euro 25 and euro 50 per person, which in dollars is about, let's say, a dollar and a half to a dollar 70 right. per meal. Um, the big issue is, is that food quality is often pretty poor. We'll sometimes get uh, students who've never, you know, they've hardly cooked for themselves that much, let alone cook for a lot of people. So often the food quality is super poor. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes we, we uh, waste a lot of food because they cook too much. Anyway, as, as an older member, I'm trying to improve things. But I was hoping that someone on the panel had experience talk, um, cooking for large numbers of people on a shoestring. Uh, we also have, a, you know, quite limited equipment. So yeah. I was wondering if you got any thoughts on that. What's your equipment? First of all... Um... I'm, I, at first, I thought you said oat instead of boat. I was like, oh, I'm gearing up for an oat-related question. Uh, and do you, you cook off-board or on-board? We, we cook on-board. It's a 30-meter-long steel hull houseboat. Nice. All right, so what equipment do you have on-board? So we've got, uh, like, uh, we've got a go-to large pot, like kind of cauldron style. Uh, it's really huge, but it means that people can't get the water to the boil when they're trying to do pasta and stuff. we got some... Pretty high BTU portable gas burners with uh, obviously the gas canisters. They're kind of 
let's say, large mobile cooking stations, a uh, couple kettle, kettles, uh, a paella pan, uh, some smaller pots and pans, and then, you know, the tiny oven and microwave are hardly worth talking about so because the they're so small. the paella pan is, is self-fired or it goes on your burners? It goes on our burners. And the kettle is separately fired? Kettle are, you know, they're electric, just common household things that are probably do- donated by uh, members in the past. They're mm. like small house. Mm. So how many li- <laughs> how many liters is this kettle? Sorry? How many liters is this kettle? Uh, like literally 1.2, maybe maybe one and a half liters. Oh, so, okay. Like really small. Uh, all right, now, uh, so... In reality, you have uh, six six gas burners, and you're feeding how many people? No, we got two gas burners, two large gas burners, and we're feeding like fifty to sixty people. How uh, how large how large are these? When you say large gas burners, like what are you what are you talking about? How large is large? Like candy uh, stove large, like rip roaring, like like uh, ten inches. What? Ten inch diameter. How, how many inches? Ten inch diameter burner. Ten inch. Yeah, but are, ten inch? I'm trying to figure out like, do they rip? Or, or, I mean, can you just tear off on these things? In other words, could you just purchase they, or steal they, they a large, large, large kettle and then, like, yeah. yeah. They, they, oops, sorry, sorry, the quality's uh, no, go a ahead. little sketchy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go, go ahead. Story of my life, quality a little sketchy. <laughs> no, I mean, in other words, like, like, are these burners strong enough to cook, let's say, soup for 30? Yeah, you know, you can get it to a simmer, but but if you need to get it to a boil, it, it's a losing battle, you're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. And and you're not underway when you're cooking, right? So you don't have to worry about sloshing? No, no, no. no it's totally stable. Uh-huh. And no fire regulations or anything like that? Because you can always supplement with very uh-huh. cheap candy burners. You can get candy stove burners or wok burners, and you can uh-huh. supplement like from power-wise off of gas. Those things tear like a mother if you need more hot side. Nastasia, uh-huh. I'm sure, she hasn't said anything, but I'm sure Nastasia is wondering whether that budget includes liquor. Because <laughs> she's Candy like... Burners. I'll look into those. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard of those. Yeah. So, well, I don't know what they call them in Europe. You know what I'm talking about, right, Paul? Like the candy stoves, like the, they're, low, yeah. they're low down. The advantage of these burners is because they're low to the floor, um, if you're doing a yeah. big kettle full of stuff, it's uh, a hassle to move around a big kettle when it's high up. So these... We used to call them candy stoves or candy burners. We would also use them for stocks and for everything like that. Is they're down low, okay. and in, it's a lot safer to move those things around when they're down uh, low. Now, uh, one or two liters for for like your, the other kettle thing. I mean, like you know, what are you going to do with one or two liters for thirty people? Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if if you get one of those candy burner style things, now all of a sudden pasta becomes a reality because you can get a big bowl on it a big uh sorry kettle on it you can rip that thing up get it boiling you know salt the hell out of it and then you could just go in batches stream out and go you know out and you can get it because ain't ain't nothing cheaper than doing pasta it's just you need to be able to do it in um you know in quantities such that you can get it out and hot and good and not turn it either into mush or have it be rocks on the inside yeah uh, That's exactly the thing that we struggle with. Yep. Yeah, but you know, pa- Nastasia enjoys cooking. Right, Nastasia, as the owner of a pasta restaurant, do you have any recommendations other than just going to your new pasta restaurant? <laughs> uh, yeah, he can freeze it. <laughs> well, he can't freeze it. Only you can freeze it because you have the special IQF like pasta freezing thing. Nastasia's <laughs> like, you could invest in a three hundred thousand dollar freezing machine for your pasta. <laughs> you know. What I mean? um, 
Also, obviously, you know, uh, soups are much appreciated as the cold weather kind of, uh, you know, rolls in. Like a heartier stick to your, you know, like a ribolita kind of a situation. Well, yeah. It takes a long time. But ribolita? Yeah, but he doesn't... No, risotto. Well, also, but, you know, like, uh, but he says he has a giant paella pan. The question is, are his burners good enough to do it? Everyone loves paella. It's just a question of what you're going to throw in it for cheap, right? So you're going to have to short out... Grilling grilling like meats and things and and using the paella pan is is actually pretty good because it's nice and thin and it, like, while not too thin, it, it distributes the heat pretty good. Right. Um, and then we can cook with that guy pretty well. But what we really struggle with is like making nice like pasta. It just kind of turns into a big block of mush, and that's a real shame. What about beer brats? Oh yeah, beer brats. Right? You put one of your things on there and beer do brats. beer brats. You know, beer brats are delicious. You have a power on this boat, hey, electrical you know, like, power. We, we play rugby. We love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You have power on this boat. Like electrical power. Uh, yeah, we got power. Yeah. Yeah. So you could also move. Yep. You could also move into uh, low temperature, right? So if you have some screaming burners, you could do, for instance. I was hoping. Yeah, you could do I was some. Hoping you'd say that. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we're we're an engineering uh, student club, so we can. I could probably get a team of engineers to try and work on like a large sort of. Uh, Merchant circulator, something like that. Yeah. So the only things you have to worry about, obviously, is uh, you know I don't know what liability insurance is like over there. Nah, it's okay. All right, cool. Yeah, you, you want to make sure you don't get any. Um, you want to make sure you don't get any stray voltage in your um, in your water. So like you know uh, I, you know you, you could use a GFI or, or whatever the equivalent is over there, GCFI. But um, you know a lot of the cheaper heating units. That you know, for, for instance, people used to make over here um, immersion circulators out of the uh, immersion coffee heaters, and the assumption from the manufacturers of those immersion coffee heaters was that you weren't going to shove your fist into the cup of coffee while you were uh, heating it, and so they have stray voltage all over the place. When you put, it's very disconcerting to put your hand into a liquid and get electrical tingle out of it very disconcerting so you just want to make sure that you don't have like a lot of uh stray like i like i say stray stray voltage but hell yeah turn a bathtub into a uh into a circulator uh is you know not a problem if you have the power the other thing by the way if you have a lot of gas one thing you can do for low temperature is let's say you said for instance that water limps along right in the in the big pot on your stove so if you have water limping along you put in a gas input where whereby you know the gas input's never going to take you over the top of the temperature you need and then you electrically heat the rest and so i used to do that for like very large things you would put your your pot yeah on the burner heat, heat up the water and then take it that last couple of degrees and just use the circulator as a as the as the, the finisher in the same way that like uh uh that guy Koenig, so, Koenigsegg has his car with electrical and uh and gas but not because he cares about energy and hybrid just to get the fastest possible acceleration you seen cool. that car paul no Koenigsegg this guy swedish guy i think he has this car that it gets so fast that he electronically limits the speed to 250 miles an hour, and his 60, zero to 60 is limited by traction of tires, and his 60 to 120 is limited by traction of tires. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you can have his car for the paltry price of $1.9 million if you had bought it back when he first offered them, because they're all sold, but he hasn't built them yet. Yeah, Hmm. yeah. Tempting. Yeah, my son Dax is into. Well, so, so if I understood that correct, you, you kind of get like a sort of temperature baseline with, with the gas, and then whatever you need and, and the accuracy, you do that electrically, and you can control that. 
Yeah, if you have unlimited amounts of electrical power, you just do it all electrically, right? But, you know, a lot of times you're, oh, you right, have a, yeah. a limit to the amount of electrical power that you have. And if you do have a limit to the amount of electrical power, then it, you can use supplementary stuff like gas as long as you know it's, it's not going to go over. And if your heat input from the gas is constant, right, so you don't porpoise it around and have it go up and down, then a PID control loop can just account for it and use the electrical to take it, take it up the, the last little bit. All right, nice. I think I'll pitch this to, to the rest of the guys. We're obviously, you know, students on a, on a shoestring, but I think I can kind of make a case that we need to upgrade the equipment. I was kind of hoping you'd say that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of obvious. And then um, I, I like the idea of the, the beer brats. Um, obviously, like, chili and stuff is good for, for the winter as well. And, uh, and, and like, just quickly, and then I'll uh, stop taking a few hours' time. Um, what other recipes do you think are a go-to that are simple enough for people to follow? Um so, so, you know, recipes that can have a pretty simple method, good quality, robust, not too sensitive. Does anything really come to mind to the rest of you guys? Anything? I mean, like, obviously, like, things that are, like, bonehead easy are things that people make in huge quantities for families. So stews, soups. I mean, they're not, yeah. it's not so exciting. If you, here's what I'm going to say. If you go, uh, if you're going to go the low temperature route, I would start with uh, zippies, right, Ziplocs, uh, as opposed, because you probably don't have the money for a vacuum machine right now, although building a DIY no, no, vacuum no. machine is cool, no. right? Uh, yeah. I would just, um, I mean, the, your problem is, is that you're looking at an inherent hard limit on the input cost, right? And so, like, most of the time when you have a hard limit on input cost, you want to have the majority of your calories come from cheap stuff like grains and pulses. And then, uh, then you supplement it with the high-grade stuff like meats. This is why things like paella, if seafood wasn't so expensive, right? If it's more of a sausage base with like a little bit, I'm sure mussels are cheap where you are. So if it's like primarily things like mussels and and uh, you know and sausages, then you know you can you know your paella is not nearly so expensive, and you can splurge a little bit on the rice and get the good stuff because even expensive rice isn't that expensive. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. same goes yeah. for soups or like you know ribolita does bean dishes things like this is why this stuff is peasant food because it's made you're stretching out the expensive ingredient by using cheap ingredients as soon as you're going into full protein cookery then you have to find a protein that you like to eat that is not that expensive right i just went to a dutch restaurant in canada where i had stump pot which is as far as I can tell, potatoes really? and bacon. Yes, I did not. I did not know it got further than than the Netherlands. That's actually kind of great to hear. Stumpot in Canada. Interesting. Yes. In Toronto, <laughs> the guys are restaurant just, called Norden. Here, here's a good one for you. And let's say you get a candy burner, right? And you don't have a big old big old oven. Here's what you're gonna. Here, here this is a good recipe for you. You gotta make a. You can make. It doesn't actually have to be low temperature because you don't actually want it that low temperature. You can do it in zippies at relatively high temperature. But like Schweinhaxe is pretty cheap. I think even in the Netherlands, Schweinhaxe is super cheap. So what you do is is you get your circulator and you uh, heat. You know you heat this the the stuff up. You cook you cook your your Schweinhaxe through until they're done. Pull them out when they are hot. I can't stress this enough. Pull them out when they're hot and let the skin flash off so that you get rid of the moisture on the skin. Then if you get a candy burner, fire that sucker up with your oil and fry off the Schweinhaxe until they're crispy on the outside and serve with some sort of a braising sauce. I love Schweinhaxe. I mean, it's not traditional that way, but you can make it that way. Um, that sounds good. Yeah. I mean, everyone likes crispy pork. Uh, hocks or whatever you call it. What is this? It's not the hock. It's whatever. It's like it's like lamb shanks for pork. 
Yeah. Yeah. So whatever you call that. Sweet. Thanks. All right. I'll, I'll report back if there's success. Any any quick notes on food safety for, for cooking for that many people? Like, we don't have any training and we're probably going to kill each other by the end of this. But. Don't aim for very, very low temperatures on your stuff. And um, if a bag blows up, just toss it. You know what I mean? Like if a bag inflates, just toss it. Yeah. Uh, start out with, uh, you know, relatively short term or relatively high temperature uh, stuff. Um, and if you're going to do cook chill, you know, get a bath, you know, not a bath, but get a large enough vessel to chill your stuff down. And, uh, you know, are you ice challenged or no? Like all of Europe is ice challenged, right? So, it, you know, you got to chill the stuff down at a reasonable, a reasonable rate. In the U.S., you know, you know, we have more ice than we know what to do with in general, not yeah. in, in houses. but That's not you know. really the case here. Yeah, mm. maybe, maybe when it gets cold outside, we can steal the ice from the canals. But <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. No, I, I wouldn't. Uh, ice is really an option. I wouldn't drag it behind the. Are the canals clean there? You can't drink out of those things, aren't they? Cesspools? No. Yeah. All oh, right. they're terrible. If There's it's in like a bag, though. And stuff. If you ever go to Holland, never jump in the canal. No. So it's okay. like it's like all like the no. like our equivalent of the Gowanus over here. New, new. Yeah. I guess so. Like yeah. it was literally the the first thing that the mayor said to us is like, "But seriously, kids, don't jump in the canals." And everybody's like, wow. "Yep." <laughs> anyway, let us know what happens. Good luck. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, okay bye. Um, wait, so we were talking, Paul, we were talking about what, America's Test Kitchen? No, you we were ready? talking about we his old program. No, we had gone on from the old program, I thought. Hadn't we? We were talking about your, well, whatever. Let's get to some questions. I like the idea of this stray voltage cocktail, though. Stray voltage cocktail? <laughs> yeah. well, it's kind of like Szechuan buttons. Did we get another call if you want to take uh, it? Yeah, sure. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, happy Halloween. Hey, happy Halloween. So I was um, lucky enough to grab some of the um, elusive Ashmead's kernel apple you oh, love so much. I do love it. I do love it. So I'm please, gonna please tell some... me, please tell me that you stored it in the refrigerator before you processed it, please. Absolutely. Good. All right. Um, and so I'm going to make some Kentucky kernels um, from Liquid Intelligence. But what else should I make? And will the juice freeze well? And if it will, should I clarify it first? Juice will freeze well. Um... I, I don't think it'll matter too much whether you clarify it first. You want to hit it with ascorbic acid as you juice it so that you keep the character of it. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. You know, I usually I juice it uh, right away. If you, you know, if you have access to um, very high-proof, high-grade ethanol, and we'll get into this later if I ever get to the, the, the questions, um, you can do the auto-hustino with acid. These are the questions. No, no, I meant... The questions that written in the, the whatever you know what I mean. Dave, Dave, Dave has to give me the giving me the nudging. Anyway, so the uh, like you can do an auto hustino on it, which is a pectin trick, which uh, you know one of the written in questions uh, deals with um, later on. But yeah, I would, you know, you yeah you can freeze. I've never frozen unclarified juice, but I'm sure it'll freeze fine. Uh, and then uh, if anything, it should be easier to clarify when it thaws out. Uh, I don't think you're going to get any more oxidative damage in it uh, by freezing it before or after i don't think but i've never tested it so i can't say for sure uh the one thing with ash meads or any other apple and that's why i asked you about uh the refrigeration is um ash meads in particular all apples but ash meads in particular if you leave them um you know warm especially if they're respiring together in a case or in a bag they will relatively quickly um 
reduce their malic acid content substantially. And this is, and actually, this can be a benefit for cider. I think one of the mistakes people make when they're making ciders is uh, they use a- uh, apples that are too high in acid content, and then when the sugar ferments out, it's unpleasantly acid. Uh, you know, and you know that can be a, a big issue. But in juice for cocktails, you want to maintain all the acidity that you can. What happens to the malic? What did it get converted to? I don't Lactic. know. Uh, no, I think it just gets consumed. I don't know. I should look it up. But it's yeah. just, you know, the acid levels, starch levels go down, uh, acid levels go down, sugar levels go up, uh, and I think sugar levels go up absolutely and not just relative to acid, but I can't be sure. Uh, and um, volatiles go up. So overripe or senescent apples tend to have that more flowery aroma that you get uh, – you know, and if they're allowed to overripen on the tree, you get that greasy skin phenomenon. Um, but yeah, ash meads, like it's very depressing when someone buys you know a bunch of ash, ash meads and then uh, lets them kind of go too far, and they lose that amazing kind of rich acidity that they have because they really are just a remarkable. Um, when they're good, they're a remarkable uh, apple. Yeah, from the seventeen like er, very early seventeen hundreds English like seventeen oh one or something like that same year that the post was founded by Alexander Hamilton, uh, I believe. Anyway, uh, it's been a long time since I've looked up the history of Ashmeads. But anyway, yeah, so I, that, that's what I would do with it. And uh, please tweet on back and tell us how the cocktails worked out. Great, because I think they're good. Did you eat one? Aren't they good? Yes, very, very. I spoke to this guy uh, whose name just went out of my head, but he's like the most famous uh, Virginia apple grower of uh, old varieties. He has a book out. He's got a He's got a huge apple orchard. I forget his name, but I was—I I talked to him once about ash meads. Colonel, he's like, they're too good to juice. And I was like, hey, wait, it's my job, man. I, you know, I make cocktails. You know, I don't serve slices of apple to people for a living. Um, Remember our citrus tasting? Well, oh uh, yeah. What about it? Didn't like it. Nastasia is like, how many times have we brought this up on the show where you can't get past Nastasia? Like, Worst lunch of our life. It was not that bad. It was not that long. It was not, not a big deal. Tell me about it. <laughs> you know, Dave, it's like, you know what? It's like, here's I am. If I want an experience, right? Like, let's say I want an experience that you can't get anywhere else on earth, right? Right? And, and you said to me, hey, Dave, uh, in order to get this experience, I'm going to run over your foot with, uh, with a medium-sized car. And I'm like, okay, will the car break my foot? No, it's just going to hurt for like a second and it's going to be over. But then you get to do this amazing thing, right? You do that and you don't keep complaining about the freaking car that ran over your foot. That's an interesting analogy. We get to go to this like tasting. It's unbelievable tasting that you can't have anywhere else. And Nastasia had to sit inside and watch someone else eat whose conversation she didn't enjoy. For three hours. It was not three hours. It was was not three hours. It was was not three hours because that would have meant that we left after dark, which we did not. And in fact, we were there for a little bit of time. All she had to do was sit there and pretend she was dead. When you're in a place and you don't want to be anywhere, just sit and Happy pretend Halloween. that you're dead. No, seriously. Everyone no, everybody knew to learn. bring their own lunch, no. except for us. Yeah, so we sat there Because we were horning in on somebody else's property and somebody else's lunch. It's like you invited yourself to their lunch that they were having so that you could steal all of their freaking citrus fruit. And you can't just sit there it's and pretend that you're dead for, for three hours. Just sit and pretend that you're dead, that you're not alive anymore. That's how I get through half of my life. I just sit and pretend that I'm not alive. Wow, that's bleak. That's so grim. <laughs> but that, how, how else are you supposed to get through if you're bored out of your freaking mind, right? All you have to do is pretend that you don't exist anymore. 
and then it's okay all of a sudden. Is this what it's going to say? Is that how sociopaths work? <laughs> no. It's how, it's how you grow up ADD. If you grow up as an ADD kid who can't see the board and doesn't have glasses yet, and you have to live through all of school, what you do is you sit there in your seat, not like seeing anything that's going on around you, and you pretend that you're not alive anymore. And you learn how to daydream like a human being. You know what I mean? It's like... It's like just take yourself out of the situation, have an out of body experience. Like think about the think about the freaking universe. Hey, Go zen. You want to take a quick break? <laughs> take a break. We'll be right back with some cooking issues. <laughs> Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts of the seed. You get the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The germ is only about 2.5% of the kernel. It's actually the sprouting section of the seed, what's going to grow into a plant. It's usually separated during milling process because it contains most of the fat and therefore has a shorter shelf life. So what you want to do once you buy whole grain flour is keep it kind of wrapped so that oxygen can't get to it so it doesn't go rancid. But the good news about having that fat is that it has a lot of flavor. If you want, you can actually buy the wheat germ, for instance, and add it back to flours. But if you buy Bob's Red Mill product, it already has the germ in it, so you don't have to. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. And we're back. So we have a caller on the air, but Nastasia is giving me the dirty looks. So let me quickly answer one of the writing questions. Uh, Cody write in. Uh, Cody, Cody Brown wrote in about grilling. I'm interested in, in a grilling setup I've seen in photos and videos from professional kitchens. It's essentially a small or medium box with charcoal in it and a grate slapped on top. I've attached the pictures below. Um, I'm interested in a solution for quickly and efficiently finishing meats that I low temperature cook. You know, you can buy a Sears. I'm just kidding. Uh, I would also like to... Ch- I'm not kidding. You, can, uh, you can't because Amazon, whatever. Uh, I don't want to get into it. Wait, wait. Just say why Amazon won't. Amazon won't, Amazon has over 1,000, Nastasia? Yeah. Over 1,000 back orders for the Sears Alls, and they're not... And they have 2,500 of them in stock, and they're not selling them because they're afraid they're going to run out. I swear to God. <laughs> uh, that is what's happening. They have... How many thousand are on the water right now? 2,400. 20, no, on the water? Mm-hmm. We have 2,400 on the water. Maybe then they'll start selling them. Jerks! Um, okay. Uh, I'm interested in a solution for quickly and efficiently finishing meats that I low temperature cook. I would also like to char vegetables. Uh, 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 I would also like to char vegetables to get that woodsy uh, ember flavor. I have a gas grill, but it doesn't put out quite enough heat. Yeah, of course not. Gas grills are, by and large, horrific, uh, monstrous things. Is there any gas grills you like, Paul? Nope. Okay. That was fast. The ones with the infrared... Okay. Panels. Can I tell you this? Uh, can I tell you this just I because I have a... Uh, Note it if you can't. I can't all right. Well, never mind. <laughs> well, beca- because we have the patent on the Sears All technology... is spreading. Because we, have a, because we have a patent on the Sears All technology, my dream, and I would like to do it in the next... Not It's not the next product we're coming out with, but I'd like to develop it uh, maybe in tandem, maybe not, is it's outdoor only because I can't possibly make this indoor legally, uh, but the Searsall V8, that's like uh, a teppanyaki uh, grill that's like maybe 12 inches, or, or that's longer, like maybe 16 inches by uh, like uh, 10 inches, and just have like the power of, it's probably in that space, so it's about the size, smaller than a garland uh, salamander, but with like 40,000 BTUs or 50,000 BTUs in that upfired, how sick would that be? It's not handheld. 
no, no, <laughs> no. But it would be instant on. So you would click it on, and it would stay, and it would get hot within ten to fifteen seconds. You do your like you know teppanyaki from hell, and then you pull it off. What do you think? Yes. All right. Anyway. I want it. So uh, look for that sometime in my lifetime, assuming my lifetime's longer than a year, which you never know. Um, anyway, um, I have a gas grill that doesn't put out quite enough heat to finish low-temperature meat. A full-size charcoal grill doesn't seem timer charcoal effective when I'm just searing off a steak for my wife and I. Uh, this uh, setup, the one he's talking about, you see, seems like it'd be great for my purposes. I looked online but couldn't find information about this type of grill box. Do you have any experience with this kind of setup? I'm looking for advice on how to build or procure one if it's a good tool for my purposes. I was also curious about the safety of such a rig. Uh, thanks for any guidance you can provide. Uh, love the show. Loving the spins all. Thank goodness. Uh, just made a fall punch with Burr, Cognac, and Clarified Lemon, and Clarified Apple Cordial, uh, cordial Cody Brown. Uh, so, and then he included a picture from McGrady's, uh, McGrady's in Charleston. What you have there, my friend, is a Conroe grill. So you can get those at Corin.com, and they are for, uh, like, uh, teppanyaki-style stuff. And they amount to uh, – it's like a, imagine if you had a box made out of fire brick with a uh, thing grate over the top. You'll have to replace the grate quite often, and there's a little uh, door at the bottom to let you increase or decrease the amount of air that comes in from the bottom. And the reason chefs use these is because you don't list them on your plan. So if you want to have something uh, grilled, you can carry this box into your kitchen, put it on your kitchen. Kitchen. Everyone throws in binchotan because people have this like feeling they need to spend an, inorbit- an exorbitant amount of money on their charcoal, so they buy Japanese binchotan. And maybe it's partially, you know, a little bit cleaner burning, but you can buy fairly clean burning American charcoals. You ever done uh, American hardwood charcoal versus binchotan? Never. Paul? I mean, I've never done the test either. We should sometime. I live in an apartment, so. Well, yeah. Well, our resources are limited yeah, for yeah. creating tremendous amounts of. Smoke and Andy, carbon monoxide. Andy, Andy Ricker brings in chi, uh, cheap binchotan, cheapotan yeah. from Thailand. People love it. The, his cheapotan? What yes. does he call it? Do you have a name? He does have a name, which I don't remember. Is it called Andy, Andy Ricker's cheap, cheap binchotan? I no. like cheap. What do you call it? Uh, cheap yeah, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so get something like that. But that, one of the main advantages this has is portability. So any restaurant that doesn't have the permits to have an actual uh, flame thing, and they're only doing a couple units at a time. So if you're doing like a you know, if you're doing a steak for a billion people, you can't use something like this. But if you know you're only going to fire two or three small pieces at a time uh, for a particular table, then they're kind of ideal for this. And then you can put them away. And then when the inspector comes and says, are you guys using, uh, you know, charcoal in here? You're like, charcoal? What are you, nuts? I don't have the permits to do that. What are you, stupid? You know what I mean? And then, the, yeah. then, then that's it. That's like the technique that you always have to be like, what are you, what are you, jerk? What are you, moron? You know, the other way you can do it uh, professionally, people used to do in New York. Now you can get permits for it, I think. It's just hard. But it used to be people would buy these gas grills that you could throw in wood chips in quotes. And so people would just build wood fires in these gas grills. But the, they were technically gas, and that's how they got in on the plans. Brilliant. Yeah. Everything in New York's about messing with people. Anyway, okay, let's take a call, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll uh, come back and answer some pecting questions. Caller, you're on the air. Yeah, it's crazy because that's what my question was about. We were, uh, hey guys, how you doing? Uh, this right. is uh, Cameron in Delaware. But my question was about uh, charcoal. You know, I'm using the pop pop charcoal bricks right now. I use all kinds of hardwood bump charcoal. The uh, oven that I'm cooking on right now is a uh, kind of like a, it's a Maraforni. It's a new kind of Jasper style oven, um, which is, it's beautiful. You know, it gets great Maillard reaction and caramelization, but really for the uh, test kitchen, what charcoals do you guys cook with? What do you recommend for that type of cooking? 
Paul, is there a, is there a party line in, a, in America's Test Kitchen? There is almost definitely a party line, but I do not know it. I'm not on this show as an official representative of, Amer- of America's Test Kitchen, which in fact is in Boston, so I'm almost never there. In my home kitchen, I use royal oak hardwood lump charcoal, and I use electric assisted airflow to get it super hot. Is that the uh, red bag stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, red, brown bag with red trim. Sometimes red bag. The stuff I use is red bag. I think it's called Royal Oak. And it looks like hunks of wood. Yes. They come out. Um, we had, um, we had uh, Meathead Goldwyn on, and he said something against those things. Uh, you know, he's very pro-briquette. Uh, but then I went and ran my own test, briquette versus uh, hardwood. And I really think it's just a matter of preference. And I prefer using the Royal Oak. Um, I just prefer using the Royal Oak. You, so, you ha- so Paul, you do a chimney starter that's uh, air-assisted, the same way that those little ovens are that you can buy the solar-powered. You've seen these? You've seen the solar-powered ovens? No. They have a, use a, they use a so, uh, no, they're not solar. They have a Peltier in them, and they use the heat energy from the beginning of burning of the kindling to fire fans to force the air through. Oh, that's brilliant. And so they're extremely efficient at converting small amounts of fuel to very, you know, short duration but high-intensity flames. And I you use can a charge fan that's on. powered by plugging it into the wall. Any idiot can do that. you got to yeah. get a Peltier. And There's uh, also a brand of, it's a Canadian brand of wood grill called cook air which has a fan built in which i've never turned my cook air above power two out of eight because it gets too hot and too powerful Ooh, i like it that goes through a hunk of wood in like a minute i like that a lot yeah. i like that so like, i wanted to now you when you it's quebecois cook air well, if it's Quebecois, like it doesn't doesn't work during lunchtime, and at any given moment, it might be out skiing with the family. So, <laughs> ah, we can you know we cannot work. We have to go ski. Otherwise, we are not Quebecois. You know what I mean? It's like they're good. They're good people. It's just you can't get them on the phone when you're trying to work. That's all I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. I think we maybe we work too much. That's that maybe maybe in you know in America we work too much. Yeah. Um, Look at the man in the mirror, Dave. Which. Oh, anyway, right. my point is, is uh, now you got Michael Jackson going through my head. Uh, so Yeah, so P- Paul doesn't have a party line on it. I tend to use the uh, Royal Oak because it's incredibly available. Um, I also, I need to scale back the way that I think about cooking in general because I have so much wood. When I do outdoor cooking and... and, and oh, gross. What? Oh, are you, guys, are you just talking about the servers? No. What? What'd I say? I have so much wood. Oh jeez, you guys, you freaking guys! Literally, if I started, if, if I started burning, if I started burning trees right now, I would be dead before I could burn all the stuff. You know what I mean? And so I tend to Is produce. That a euphemism, burning trees. Uh, you guys are like all with the stuff. Like no, like uh, although my my son Dax, the younger one, likes broccoli by Big Baby Dram, and he was like, Dad, do you know that? He's talking about burning trees like marijuana. I'm like, you know, Dax, by the time it's an issue for you, it's going to be legal everywhere. So, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, anyway, Um, point being that, like, I I go through profligate amounts of uh, burning things that contain lignin or contained lignin at one time and are converted into coals. All right. Is, Is that neutral enough for you guys? You can't make some sort of drug or sex reference out of it. Freaking people. We'll find a way. Uh, Anyway, so I I don't know. Um, Andy Ricker is a good guy, and I trust him. And so, like, if he's hawking, I haven't personally used his charcoal, but I'm sure it's good because 
you know, he's one of yeah. those he's one of those people his, that if he says it's good, I I believe him. His charcoal is nice because it's uh, a lot less than Vinchoton. It's also like compressed, so it's not just you know the pieces are uniform. They burn really hot and they last a long time. It's a good value. Uh, didn't know you know I'm using Fogo charcoal right now, which is very similar to. Just didn't know what your thoughts were. So thanks so much. I appreciate it. There is a website. I have no recollection what it's called. It's one guy's endeavor to review all the hardwood charcoal. Is it similar to the guy that reviews all of Hershey's chocolate batch by batch? You seen that guy's website? Nope. There's a guy, I forget his name, it's a bunch of random things, but one of the things is he samples as many date batches of regular Hershey's milk chocolate bars and makes tasting notes on every batch. And they're all bad? He he finds more nuance in a Hershey's milk chocolate bar, you know, than you and I would find in in a, in a fine wine, let's say. And by the way, Nastasia, this happened to me the other day. So you know, everyone who knows me knows that at home I'm the cheapest human on earth, right? So, at, first of all, from a technical standpoint, boxed wine is 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 good. Technically, boxed wine is the best. Uh, you can drop a box of bo- of boxed wine on the ground and it will not shatter the same way that four bottles of wine will shatter if you drop them on the ground. Uh, you can take one glass out of them and not end up finishing the bottle and it doesn't go bad, uh, it, not like the way that bottles of wine work. Uh, however, like I've been buying this, you know, fairly cheap stuff because that's all they sell in the box and so I'm trying to push, bu- and then like I accidentally opened a really nice bottle of wine and poured it and we're like, why does this not, what's this color? It doesn't look like fresh pressed grape juice. And we're like, oh, this is what real wine oh tastes God. like. Uh, Jen and I were like, oh, man, oh it's so nice to have real wine again. Because usually we only have real wine when we're out. You know what I mean? At home, we're, we're drinking, you know, basically, you know, fresh grape juice with uh, doped with alcohol. Anyway, uh, do we have any more callers we need to get to or no? Yeah, one more caller and we got to go. Oh, okay, caller, you're on the air. Yeah, hi Dave. Uh, this is Joe from the Bay Area. Um, this is a bittersweet moment for me because uh, I had years of uh, the backlog that I burned through, um, but now I'm going to be lonely without uh, the ranting uh, from you and hatred from Nastasia while I drive. Nice. Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll, ju- but, uh, maybe we'll yeah. just do like uh, what- we'll record some ringtones of just Nastasia spewing invective. <laughs> And then to do is just get yeah, on our exactly. 10 a.m. calls. <laughs> yeah, anyone that wants to just subscribe to Nastasia and I have a standing 10 a.m. call that one or the other one always sets the other one off such that it's just like a blood boiling, like 40 minutes of straight screaming and anger. Like I've almost been hit by cars walking across the street because the anger is boiled Yesterday over. Yesterday so. you screamed. I'm going to hang up on you. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, caller. Sorry. That would be a great ringtone. Uh, uh, no problem. No, no. Okay, so um, I want to do a holiday cocktail, and um, I like the the recipe for the cold buttered rum in uh, the cocktail book, um, and I have everything I need to make um, uh, the butter syrup, but uh, I want to do a hot version of that, either with cider or with rum, and first of all, I wanted to know if that would be stable at higher temperatures and if I'm even on the right path or if you would approach it in a different way. Nope. Yes and yes. That that uh, the ticaloid is uh, not suscept- is not uh, broken by heat. So it's uh, the gum arabic and the xanthan. And yeah, xanthan gets slightly less thick at, at temperature, but uh, it's gonna it's gonna work fine. And in fact, uh, we've we've done that hot, and it works works like a charm. Okay, but if I want to burn the sugar in a pan, then I can't put it in the syrup. So oh yeah yeah. Um, 
what know, I would do is I would, I would pre-burn I would pre-burn uh, some of it and then because um, uh, you know you you add the oh, sugar yeah. afterwards you could pre-burn some of the sugar and then dissolve it into the into the uh, syrup after you add after you shear in the um, after you emulsify and stuff you could dissolve dissolve that in and then just equalize out the sugar level with um, you know with fresh white sugar and it shouldn't be a problem. I've never done it, but it shouldn't okay. be a problem. So then, no sugar in the butter syrup. Yeah, sure, sugar in the butter syrup, and you know you can you can go. In other words, what I would do is like I, I would not add all of the sugar. I would burn some of your sugar, and then you can actually because it's not the same. But a lot of people can't distinguish between caramel and brown sugar when they hit. So if you do a mixture of caramelized sugar and brown sugars that contain molasses, like they'll reinforce each other, and it'll it, it'll give people the impression that you've used more. Um, that you've burned it harder or that you've burned the whole thing. Okay. Cool. Thank you. All right. Well, let us know how it works. Okay. All right. Cool. Bye. Uh, and Dave, I know you're going to kick me off. Happy Halloween. Yep. Hold on a second. Aww. Surly Dave wrote in. Uh, Surly Dave wrote in about pectin uh, and uh, about he made a quince syrup. We could talk about it more next time. He made a quince syrup and added it to alcohol and it gelled. Look up, uh, look up, uh, Dave, uh, uh, alcohol precipitation of pectin. What you're getting there is uh, is because your syrup is not a high enough acid, and so it's not gelling on its own. And when added to a, high, a fairly high proof ethanol, and it's been reduced, the amount of pectin in it is allowing the pectin to uh, drop out of solution and form a gel. We could talk more about this next week. Uh, and then Gordon had a question about methacel F50. We've never uh, answered. Apparently, it came on. We can talk more about methacel F50 puffs. But uh, Gordon, your main problem when you're making these puffs are that you don't have enough solids. Meth the self uh, does not foam well, does not whip like egg whites unless you have a fairly high solid system. So don't start with juice. Start with puree. Add your methacel F50. The more you add, the, th- the denser the foam will be. But if you add more than about a percent, you're going to start tasting the methacel and it's going to suck. And remember, everybody, when you're making foams, if you want them to have taste, you need to start with very high flavor base because you're whipping in air and the air is going to reduce uh, the physical quantity of stuff that you're going to eat. So you need to start with very high-flavored things if you want a good-flavored foam. Also, if you're going to make F50 meringues, they're extremely hygroscopic. So you need to store them in the dehydrator until right before you're going to use them or they're going to go soggy. Cooking issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.